1: You're listening to Unsavory, where true crime meets food. Hello, everyone. I'm Sarah. And I'm Becca. And you're listening to Unsavory. Season three of Unsavory. We are back with a brand new season filled with scandal and crime and fraud and... Of course, lots of food. Mm -hmm. And best of all, a consistent posting schedule. (laughs) You heard us right. Every two weeks, you'll get a new episode of Unsavory. We're saying it here and now live sort of live, on the air every two weeks. Every two weeks. (laughs) I feel like I would normally ask Jeff to edit that out just in
0: case, but we are friggin' ready for this one. (laughs) We've been preparing, flexing our Mm -hmm. podcast muscles, and we are ready to bring you what I think is probably going to be the best season of Unsavory yet.
1: Agreed. We've been doing all our vocal exercises, (laughs) writing, researching, resting, the most important one. Mm -hmm. And we're ready. And today, we're starting it off with an amazing story. It involves fruitarianism, orthorexia, fraud, the Canadian wilderness, and most importantly, good old Canadian hospitality. (laughs) Are you ready? I'm so ready. Let's do this. The information in this podcast is for entertainment and educational purposes only. If you're interested in medical nutrition therapy or personalized nutrition advice, please talk to a physician or registered dietitian in your area. If you have a history of disordered eating, be advised that nutrition details will be discussed and take the steps you need to protect your recovery journey. All the citations and relevant links for anything mentioned in this episode will be in our show notes on our website, unsavorypodcast.com. This podcast may contain coarse language, mature subject matter, and content of a violent or disturbing nature. Listener discretion is advised. This is an independently Produce podcast. If you'd like to donate to the podcast, you can sign up as a donor through the Patreon link in our bio. If you could rate, review, follow, and share our show with your true crime and food loving friends, that would really help us out and we will be forever grateful. Okay, so a couple of shout outs right off the top. I had never heard of this story before, even though it happened like a couple decades ago. And one of our listeners and colleagues, Ken Mullock, he's at Ken.Dietician on Instagram. Hi, Ken. Hi, Ken. He reached out and was like, you've got to listen to this podcast called Wild Boys. I think it would be great for unsavory. And so I searched Wild Boys on Spotify, and it's actually season three of a podcast called Chameleon. So it's a little Mm. confusing, but the title on the cover page is Wild Boys. And I started listening, and I was immediately hooked. So the Wild Boys season is also my primary source for this episode. It covers what happened in this story in such amazing detail from someone who actually lived in the town at the time. So the host, Sam Mullins, was growing up in Vernon, BC during this period. And it's really cool to see his perspective, but also he's able to go back and interview a lot of the major players in this story. Mm -hmm. So... Thank you for an amazing podcast, Sam Mullins. <laughs> and after listening to this episode, I highly recommend you go and check out Chameleon season three, Wild Boys, details linked, of course, in our show notes.
0: Amazing. So we really have the inside scoop here,
1: eh? Totally. That's actually what it feels like when you're listening, because he was like 16 or something when it happened. And he's got all the inside deeds and like can really paint a picture of what it was like. So our story starts in Vernon, British Columbia. Have you ever been? No, I have not. Have you? Kind of. Not in any significant way. I once drove through it. I was on the way to Penticton. I had wine tours on my brain, so I didn't really, like nothing about Vernon really registered, but it is nestled in the beautiful Okanagan Valley, which is really, really lovely. Very wine country and very like outdoorsy and active.
0: Nice. Yeah, the Okanagan Valley is, it's definitely on my list of places to go in Canada. I just feel like it looks like such a dream.
1: Yeah, it's really, really nice. And so like most of Canada, Vernon gets some pretty chilly winters, of course, but they also have this really long, hot, kind of dry summer that is perfect for growing fruit. Not something you always think about in Canada, but cherries, peaches, grapes, you name it. They've got wineries and farmers markets all over. it could even be considered like the fruit basket of Canada. So back in August 2003, where our story kind of begins here, it was peak fruit harvest time. And these two tall, scraggly, and very hungry boys wandered out of the woods and into the Kalamalka Lake area in Vernon, BC. Of course, they looked around, they saw the beautiful lake, they saw all the fruits, they saw everything they needed. And they thought, oh, this is perfect. We're in paradise. And something to note, these two particular boys had never seen a TV before, had Mm. never had a birthday party, had never used electricity, had never been to a doctor, but they had definitely seen fruit before. Hmm. And in fact, they really liked fruit, but we'll come back to that later. Okay. So... More about Vernon. It's a town of just over 40,000 people. It's filled with young families and retirees. And so when these two very tall, over six feet, and very thin boys come out of the bush looking all scraggly and start hanging around the local general store and visiting the local health food store to, of course, stock up on mass amounts of fruit, people really notice. It's not the easiest to blend in in Vernon, because it really is that small town vibe. The boys were very quiet. They kept mostly to themselves. And when they did speak, it was the older one of the two that did most of the talking.
0: Okay. So are are these boys, are they brothers, friends?
1: They are brothers. I don't think, like when they arrived in the town, I don't think that was immediately obvious, but they are in fact brothers. Okay. And the younger brother was much quieter, but he was the one that really captured the town's attention. His clothes hung off his six-foot frame, and he looked so thin and frail that people were seriously concerned. Mm. It looked like he might collapse at any moment. And so the people of Vernon, B.C. started calling the local police and the RCMP and... Started reporting that hey, there's these strange boys hanging around the general store, hanging around the health food store, and they we have some health concerns about them. But since the boys weren't actually doing anything illegal, there wasn't too much that the police could do.
0: Yeah, leave it up to a small town to call the cops on misfits, eh? I know they're <laughs> like
1: uh, these people look weird. Can you check it out? <laughs> I feel like I would never. <laughs> happen in, in Toronto, Toronto, like ever, ever, <laughs> they'd be like, yeah, so what? <laughs> Everyone looks weird. (laughs) Okay, so now I want to introduce who I consider to be the hero of our story, Tammy Ryder. And I cannot pump Tammy up enough, especially when you listen to the Wild Boys podcast. Like, she's in it. She's she's an angel. She's so sweet. And there really wouldn't even be a story here at all if it wasn't for Tammy. So at the time, back in 2003, Tammy was a busy, full-time hockey mom of three kids She had also, like many, seen the boys around the town and also, like most, had been shocked by the appearance of particularly the younger boy. But unlike many other residents, Tammy had to do something. That's just who she was. Mm -hmm. And so she did. She had heard that the boys were camping behind the Kalamalka General Store. And so her and her husband went there to look for the boys And in the area behind the store, they did find the boys' tent and camping area scattered with avocado rinds, and she left them a note and a couple of quarters, because this is 2003. They would have had to use a payphone (laughs) to give her a call. What a throwback. Tammy sounds so
0: sweet, but I'm already a little bit suspicious, not of Tammy, of course, but of these boys. (laughs) Like, where are they getting avocados, like ripe avocados from the middle of Canada if they're living in the wilderness.
1: From their favorite health food store, Mm. which is where they were frequenting all the time. And also like 2003, I don't know about you, but I didn't see a lot of avocados in my grocery store in 2003.
0: No, but also I feel like local health food stores are often the most expensive in terms of where you're getting produce. So if Mm -hmm. these are boys living in the wilderness, where are they getting money from?
1: That's a great... Great point. Mm-hmm. And the is about to get even more suspicious. I'll come back to the funds in a moment. But to Tammy's surprise, she actually got a call from the boys the very next day, and they introduced themselves as Will and Tom Green. Hmm. Tom Green, like uh, mm-hmm. Drew Barrymore's ex-boyfriend? Exactly. <laughs> Ex-husband, I believe. And 2003, like, that's Tom Green's peak, uh-huh. is it not? Like, that's when, when I think 2003. So Tom Green... Maybe, I don't know. We're Canadians, so I feel like Tom Green is like the epitome of Canadian comedy, especially in the early 2000s. Other than Mike Myers, um, obviously. Other than Mike Myers <laughs> and Jim Carrey. Oh Jim my god. Carey. We got a lot. <laughs> Lots of yeah, Canadians so funny. But yeah, he has the same name. This this guy, this boy that shows up in Vernon BC has the same name as legendary Canadian comedian Tom Green. And in 2003, Tom Green was very famous. Like like you said, he had just been married to Drew Barrymore or dating Drew Barrymore. And he had a couple movies that had come out, including Freddie Got Fingered, which I distinctly remember all my friends going to see and my parents not letting me go to see because I was 13.
0: That's good parenting right there.
1: (laughs) But yeah, just an odd choice. I guess it's probably like Tom Green. I'm sure there are multiple Tom Greens. It seems like a pretty common name. But just, you know, let's put a little small red flag on that. Mm -hmm. So Tammy told the boys that she wanted to help them. And they said yes. Winter was coming. I'm sure their funds were running out because, like you said, avocados are not cheap. And the boys knew they needed her assistance. But it wouldn't be long before Tammy would realize she might have bitten off more than she anticipated. So step one to helping the boys become more established was to try and seek some support from the government to get the boys some housing. But the boys had no identification. No ID whatsoever. No birth certificate, no license, no health card, no passport, no proof that they actually existed. Because as far as the Canadian government was concerned, they didn't. (laughs) What? Yes. So once Tammy became involved, the story really starts to unravel. So the boys told Tammy that they had been raised by reclusive parents deep in the rugged wilderness about an hour outside of Revelstoke, B.C. They said they grew up with no electricity, no computer, no TV, no school, no doctors. Their parents, Mary and Joseph, which <laughs> I'll put a little red flag number two on that.
0: Mary and Joseph give birth to Tom Green. That's
1: yeah. too much. <laughs> so, they're, yeah, their parents had kicked them out after the boys decided to go vegetarian. Also a little extreme. Uh Uh-huh. So either we've got a sociologist's dream here, a 16 and 20-year-old pair of brothers that are having their first contact with society, or we've got a total crock of bullshit.
0: I'm already calling bullshit because we know they have money somehow. Yes,
1: for avocados. And also
0: I just, I feel like kicking kids out because they're vegetarian. So That is a little extreme. It's
1: extremely extreme. Yeah, I know. But maybe Mary and Joseph are big hunters and, it you know, maybe they're carnivores. Who knows? <laughs> but your bullshit meter is strong. It's a little foreshadow. So either way, whether you think this is bullshit or you think it is, you know, possibly true, a great story, nothing lights up a small town like a sensational story. And the boy's tale had everything from rugged wilderness and biblical names to possible child neglect. Fueled by the excitement of this fascinating story, the good people of Vernon, led by Tammy, rallied around the boys to ensure that they would have everything they needed. Food, shelter, winter coats, clothing, grocery cards. And one citizen even got them a private credit card that they paid off for them every month. Mm. And I don't know what the limit was, but I am curious. It's so generous. It's so generous. The people of Vernon, B.C. really wanted to help and support these boys. Slash men. (laughs) So life was looking pretty good for Will and Tom Green, the wild bush boys born to Mary and Joseph. Except it wasn't. Because Will Green, the younger brother, was becoming visibly sicker by the day. So by this point... Will and Tom Green had been put up at a local hostel where they spent most of their time holed up in a room that smelled like rotting fruits because it was filled with rotting fruit <laughs> and it was also filled with books about nutrition from the local library. Have you ever stayed at a hostel? Yes, I have. I've stayed in many hostels. I knew you'd have a story from all your <laughs> travels.
0: Like mainly all of my hostel stories come from this one solo post-breakup trip that I did to Southeast Asia when I was in my (laughs) mid-20s. But no, I honestly, like the whole hostel experience was incredible in that you get to meet so many other travelers who are in similar positions as you where they might want to also meet other people. So I thought it was a really great way to travel. Yeah. But I've also seen some things. Like what? Any good stories? (laughs) A few. (laughs) I could name off a few things that happened in my travels, but it was a little intense. Like one morning I woke up to uh, people. I was on a bunk bed, but there were people mm. hooking up right below me.
1: Oh my God. Uh-huh. So I woke
0: up to the bed shaking. Cool. Okay. Another time <laughs> I woke up covered in ants.
1: Mm. No, this is a different location. That.
0: And then yeah. um, this was like my first, I landed in Vietnam and I was staying at this hostel, like right downtown. And this was in Ho Chi Minh, like the city. Mm-hmm. I had just come back from this like large day of traveling and like excursions and stuff. And then I went to go and have a shower and I opened the oh, no. uh, the bathroom door and there's just a rat in the shower. Uh. And I obviously kind of, like freaked out and I went down to the lobby and the like woman working in the lobby was just like, welcome to Vietnam. And I was like, okay, so nobody's <laughs> going to do anything. So, um, great. So I actually went and I asked the um, the woman who would tend to the rooms, I asked her if she had any like rat traps in my very broken oh my Vietnamese. Yeah. And she said that she did. So I gave her literally all of the cash that I had and some chocolate. And I was like, please, please, can you set one up? <laughs> uh, but I was just so tired from traveling that I ended up just yeah. staying there. Like I didn't move or anything like that.
1: But oh my God. Yeah, that's lots a of lot. Stories. Yeah. Those <laughs> are so yeah, I think those those stories perfectly illustrate a little glimpse of hostile <laughs> life. It's not necessarily the most glamorous setup, but it is where free spirits and lonely travelers and post breakup 20 somethings. <laughs> yeah. Come together. And they usually attract a crowd that's looking to kind of connect and socialize. And so you think it would be the perfect place for some boys to make friends with, like a non judgmental, fun, welcoming, open crowd. But Will and Tom weren't really mingling with the others. In fact, the only time they left their room was to visit the health food store to buy more fruit. And for those nearest to the boys at the time, it was becoming clear that their relationship with food was a little different, especially for Will younger brother. So Will only ate fruits and things that he considered pure, which was mostly fruits and avocados, which is also a fruit, but no. noteworthy. He really liked his avocados.
0: Oh, no. I I really do empathize with these boys if their story is true. And I can understand why they might even be drawn more to like, quote unquote, whole
1: foods if that's kind of what they grew up with in the wilderness. But mm-hmm. I feel like you need more protein. You totally need more protein, especially for a growing boy. Will was only 16. And he was visibly malnourished to the point that people were seriously concerned. So they were certainly captivating the attention of locals, but their story was about to create a buzz around Vernon, B.C., like Vernon had never seen before. So the first news article about the boys showed up in November 2003, only about two months after they first appeared in Vernon. And right away, the public was hooked. It's a good story, right? Everyone likes, you know, the idea of someone who was raised in the woods and then enters society. So the story spread nationally and then internationally. And with more attention, the cracks in the story slowly started to show. So the story evolved from two boys that had never seen civilization to two boys that had gone into Revelstoke once a year with their parents. Two boys that had never seen a TV soon became two boys that had watched a handful of movies throughout their childhood. And as the story became bigger and bigger, these little inconsistencies started to become more obvious. And the more Tammy spent time with the boys, she actually started to notice that their vocabularies were really well developed, almost like they'd already been to school. And they seemed pretty comfortable on the computers available at the hostel almost like they'd used them before.
0: Okay. I actually, I did want to say something earlier because you mentioned that they had the library books in their room Mm -hmm. too. And what to do when you get to a library is a process. I feel like you need somebody to show you what to do. I'm sure maybe if they really wanted books, they would have just like gone in and asked, but it just seems like a little bit suspicious that they would even know what a library was unless they had previously like, to one or frequented one.
1: Definitely. Yeah. The Dewey decimal system is not exactly user-friendly. That's a great point. And so with more and more cracks in the story starting to show, there was still one thing that seemed to take precedence above all else. You know, half the town was kind of divided. Half of them thought they were lying and full of shit. <laughs> <laughs> the other half really believed them and was like, stop doubting these boys. We got to help them. But no matter what side you were on, the one thing that was really bringing the town together to help the boys was the health of the younger brother, Will. Right. So, behind the scenes of the media frenzy, Tammy's mom instincts were kicking in hard. Will needed help, stats. She tried talking to Tom about Will's eating habits, but Tom seemed to shrug it off. But it would later be revealed that even behind closed doors, Tom was telling Will a lot of the same things that other people were telling him. You know, try this. You have to gain some weight. You're too thin. But it was all in vain because by this point in time, Will was so deep into the throes of his illness that he wasn't really thinking clearly. Mm. Someone else had noticed Will's weight loss as well. Corporal Henry Prosey from the Royal Canadian Mounted Police. So Prosey had been involved in the boys' story right from the start, but not as a supporter like Tammy. He was the boys' biggest skeptic. (laughs) (laughs) He spoke to the boys a couple of times Before And he found them to be really odd and not in the raised in a bush kind of way. They were uncooperative and standoffish, and it was obvious that they didn't like police. And it was clear that he wasn't going to get any legitimate information from them. So he started asking around. He asked his colleagues in Revelstoke if they'd ever seen a bush family in the woods nearby, and they had not. So there was no way to corroborate the boy's story. and. You know, as Will's health continues to deteriorate, Tammy and Corporal Prosay, who were originally on different teams, kind of come together and they both decide to help Will, the younger brother. So Prosay decided to invoke Canada's Mental Health Act and apprehend Will because at this point he was six foot one and he only weighed 84 pounds. Wow. So really oh, very, Tommy. very dangerously thin. Uh-huh. So Will was on his regular walk to the health food store when Prosay caught up with him. And by this point, Will was too weak to run or fight back. He willingly went along with Prosay, and Prosay brought Will to the hospital where he was admitted as a patient.
0: Yeah. I mean, well, it's great that he brought him in for help. I feel like mental health professionals just generally need Mm -hmm. to be brought in for this kind of work. Like, I can't imagine that this would have gone smoothly had Will had— more energy or more fight left in him because nobody really wants Absolutely. that to happen.
1: Absolutely. And yeah, I think yeah.
0: I think that just that whole process needs to change a little bit. For sure. But it's good that he was able to, to be brought in willingly.
1: Definitely. That's a great point. Mm-hmm. Maybe having a social worker there to help or even the brother or Tammy, mm-hmm. someone he knew. So it was in this Canadian hospital that Will would be diagnosed with something called orthorexia. So orthorexia is not an official diagnosis because it's not actually recognized as an eating disorder in the DSM-5, but it is recognized by many health professionals as a state that can have a significant impact on one's health and well-being. Orthorexia is defined as an unhealthy focus on eating in a healthy or pure way, Uh, and I have healthy and pure in quotation marks because that can be very different for each and every person. And of course, eating nutritious food is health promoting and it is important, but in orthorexia, it is taken to the extreme in a way that often leads to social isolation, stress, guilt, and anxiety. So, some signs of orthorexia include worrying about food quality and certain ingredients or nutrients, avoiding eating out of the house or foods that were prepared by others, being fearful of getting sick or developing a chronic disease obsessing over food research, uh, refusing to eat a wide variety of foods, and being overly critical of others' food choices. And if any of those points resonated with you or maybe made you think of someone in your life, we do have some eating disorder helplines in our show notes. Yeah. Honestly, working
0: with clients now, I feel like you start to realize just how common this type Mm -hmm. of eating behavior is too. So I just, I feel like disordered eating patterns are everywhere in society and like something really does need to change. I'm actually, I'm surprised that orthorexia hasn't been added to the DSM 5 yet. Yeah. They recently added binge eating disorder.
1: Well, that's good. Binge eating disorder definitely deserves to be in the DSM 5, very common. And I do wonder if in the next iteration of the DSM, orthorexia will be added because you're right. It is so common and in such varying degrees, Mm -hmm. right? Like, I feel like it's actually almost
0: normal.
1: normal or it's so common that it's normalized to have just, you know, the small problematic beliefs around food. I hear them tossed around all the time at dinners, at social gatherings. And those, you never know how someone's going to pick up on little comments or what can, they can do with that information and whatnot. So yeah.
0: And orthorexia, I feel like it's just, it's so, inter- I mean, they're all intertwined with mental health and stuff like that, mm-hmm. but it's such a... A tricky one because it can come across as somebody being super interested in nutrition, whereas internally it's causing a lot of anxiety because it can, as you said, I think like focusing, hyper-focusing on research and and stuff like that, like that can look like somebody who's just really interested in nutrition, whereas inside they have severe anxiety about it.
1: For sure. And you see like so many people on social media and health influencers and things like that that look like they're doing great. Mm -hmm. And they might look like a vision of health, but you don't know what's happening internally if they're experiencing a lot of stress and a lot of guilt and a lot of anxiety. So yeah, it's definitely something that deserves to be talked about more. Agreed. This is Paige, the
0: co-host of Giggly Squad. And I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN.
1: Okay, so in the hospital, Will was able to work with healthcare professionals and find ways to optimize his diet to make sure that he was meeting his needs. And the thing was that Will actually did eat a lot. He ate high volumes of fruit, (laughs) and just fruit. So he was missing out on a lot of key nutrients that his all-fruit diet just didn't provide. In the hospital, he was actually doing really well, and he was on the path to recovery. When something happened that would bring it all crashing down, his older brother Tom decided to do a media interview. Oh, no. (laughs) The boys were notorious for keeping to themselves and not speaking to the media, but When a journalist reached out, Tom thought this might be his perfect opportunity to convince the Canadian government to actually give him a form of identification so that he could get a job and be more independent. So Tom decided to do the interview, and he even brought a camera into Will's hospital room and filmed them playing cards together.
0: Okay, did Will know that he was being filmed, or was this like top secret?
1: No, he knew. Okay, good. (laughs) I'm not sure if he knew, like, that it would be broadcast nationally and internationally, but he knew that he was being filmed as part of an interview. Okay. And when the interview did air, it aired everywhere, including California. Mm. Nice. (laughs) So shortly after the interview aired, the journalist at CBC got an email saying, "Uh, those wild bush boys are my brother's. And not long after that, they got a call from a woman saying, oh my gosh, those are my sons. I'm their mother. And it was (laughs) Diane Horn, a mother of four from the beautiful suburbs of Roseville, California. Oh my gosh, here we go. (laughs) I know. (laughs) It all comes crashing down. So sure enough, once the journalists looked up the names that Diane Horn, the mother, had given them, Rowan and Kyle Horn, There they saw the faces of Will and Tom Green staring back at them from missing persons website.
0: Okay, so why then would Tom do an interview Mm -hmm. if they were seemingly in hiding?
1: Yeah, excellent question. And definitely not his smartest move. I think he thought that it wouldn't be... Broadcast in the States. I think he thought it would be like Canadian news and that it would give him the leverage he needed to get that ID and get a job and be more independent and like their life would be more sustainable in Canada. But it didn't work out that way. So, just to verify the boy's identity, Diane tells the journalists that they can verify Rowan. Rowan is Will, the younger one. They can verify his identity by checking for a scar on his abdomen from a previous surgery where he had a spleen removed. And so they asked Tom, a.k.a. Kyle, Kyle's the real name, Okay. does he actually have a scar there? And Tom was like, yeah, he's got a scar there. So there it was. The secret was finally out. The two Canadian wild bush boys that had captured the hearts of Canadians and sparked imaginations worldwide were actually two boys from a loving, stable, supportive home in California, and they had been taking advantage of the generosity of Vernonites Knights for months. The worst part of this is how much this experience hurt Tammy. So she was so sweet and supportive. She'd been a champion for the boys. And you can hear her talk about her experience with this, like, on the Wild Boys podcast. But it's painful for her. It was embarrassing. Right. She felt awful. And she had taken time away from her own family and kind of rallied the whole community to help take care of these boys. And then had a very public exposure of the lie, basically.
0: Right. I don't think that she should be embarrassed at all. It just shows that no. she has incredible empathy and she mm-hmm. wants to help others. Like, <laughs> I think the boys should be the
1: ones who are embarrassed here. Yeah, they definitely should be and they should apologize. We'll come back to that a little bit. Okay. But yeah, I'm I'm 100% Team Tammy. Yeah. I think she did a great thing. Team Tammy all the way. So Kyle and his parents traveled back to California. Once the secret was exposed, they were like, Kyle, you've got to go. You don't belong here. So they went back to California. Rowan was able to stay until he was more medically stable in the hospital. And by the time he left, he had racked up about 68000 worth of medical bills and left a lingering sour taste in the mouths of the good people of Vernon, B.C.
0: Do you think that the Canadian government would help fund it had they not found out that he was American, like helped fund his medical bills?
1: Yeah, I do. I bet. I don't know for sure, but I bet like if he was actually technically a Canadian citizen Uh born in the wild woods of Revelstow, I think they probably would have been more inclined to cover it. Yeah, they might have maybe opened a greater investigation to try to find the parents. But like if they did find Mary and Joseph living in the woods, I think they would have been like, well, I guess he's a true Canadian citizen (laughs) and they probably would have covered it. That's just my guess. But I, I don't know if I actually comment on this later, so I do want to say, like, they did leave this, like, lingering sour taste in, in the good people of Vernon, B.C., because they also didn't apologize. Like, they didn't really see what they did as wrong, mm. and that's going to become clear as I give you more background on Kyle and Rowan's situation. So it was like the whole town rallied and supported these boys for their little adventure, <laughs> which we're going to talk about. But then when they left, they were like, I don't think they saw it as a fraud in the way that the people of Vernon did. Right. Okay, so why did these boys run away and end up in Vernon in the first place? So it turns out there is actually some truth to their story. So Rowan, the younger one, had become extremely into nutrition and adopted a highly restrictive, mostly raw fruit diet. And his mom had been worried about him. So she brought him to the doctor and very long story short, Part of the treatment plan was that he may have to rely on enteral nutrition, which, Becca, you and I know. I'm not sure if everyone knows the word enteral nutrition, but it's feeding through a tube, usually to the belly, but also to different parts of the uh, digestive system if needed. So Rowan was absolutely terrified of having to rely on enteral nutrition, Uh, Something his orthorexic brain frequently describes in the podcast as being force-fed garbage or poison, which it's not. It's truly a life-saving form of nutrition for many people. Rowan was not responding well to the local doctor's treatment plans, so often refusing to eat the uh, rigid meal plans provided in hospital. And so there was a discussion about putting him into an inpatient mental health unit and Providing him eventually with enteral nutrition or tube feeds. Rowan's mom, Diane, didn't want this to happen. And so she pulled him out of the program and Child Protective Services actually became involved. Oh, no. And were planning to take custody of Rowan. So this sounds really dramatic and like maybe the Horns could be endangering Rowan. He was young at the time, 15, 16, And so you kind of have to understand who the Horns are as people to understand how they got to this point. Yeah. So Diane and Roger Horn, they raised their children to question everything. That's the kind of people they are. They were religious, but they didn't prescribe to a specific religion. They love conspiracy theories. Things like big agriculture, 9-11, the moon landing, flat earthers, and of course, (laughs) vaccine conspiracies. They love to talk about them and kind of dissect them and, you know, think about the real truth behind things. And they really, really, really believe in personal freedom and choice. So this is the kind of environment that Rowan and Kyle are being raised in. Right. I always find it funny when it's people
0: who think that they question everything, but then don't question their own conspiracies. <laughs>
1: totally. But actually, like they kind of do. Okay. So when you listen to them on the podcast, like they are conspiracy theorists. And like that's why they're religious, but like they don't prescribe to one religion because they're like questioning constantly and trying different things. And like I think, for example, like flat earthers, like I don't think they are flat earthers. I think they just like to discuss the theory of flat earth. Okay. And then kind of go back and forth and like debate as a family. Like, their sister is actually a dietitian. Their sister's a dietitian? A registered dietitian. Oh,
0: I feel like these people would actually be very interesting to talk to at a party.
1: Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. I definitely think they're more conspiracy and more, like, counterculture than I tend to be. Mm -hmm. But I do think that they reason and try to see both sides of things. It's just, like, their conclusions. Well, okay, so I'm generalizing. But Kyle and Rowan were a little bit more counterculture than the other two siblings. Okay, So there's four siblings. Yeah, and one became a registered dietitian, which I love. But this is the environment, okay? They're questioning things, and they are a little wary of, like, the medical system. So when the doctors wanted to give Rowan enteral nutrition to help him gain some weight, Rowan was strongly opposed, and his parents kind of thought, like, surely there's got to be another way here.
0: And from a mom's perspective, I do kind of understand that. Like, if that's going to cause mm-hmm. your son immense distress, mm-hmm. wanting to see if there's another way or not wanting to proceed with the enteral nutrition if yeah. it's going to be one of those things that cause a lot of anxiety or, or what have you.
1: For sure. And it would definitely. And he was still taking in a lot of food, right? Right. So I feel like maybe for someone who doesn't have a deep understanding of nutrition and like the different needs the volume of food was there, it's just not nutritionally adequate. Yeah. So I can see how that would be confusing too. And so to understand how Rowan got to this point of being so fearful of hospitalization that he illegally crossed a border and set up camp in Vernon, B.C., all to avoid getting enteral nutrition or eating certain different foods, it helps to understand his personal background a little bit more. So when Rowan was nine, he was riding his bike and he ruptured his spleen by, I think, going over the handlebars, and he had to get it removed. So a person without a spleen is more vulnerable to getting sick and has a compromised immune system. And this is what Rowan's told when he's nine. So that's heavy info for a nine-year-old boy to carry and process. So the doctors wanted to give him vaccines to protect him from certain illnesses because he has a compromised immune system. But Rowan declined. And instead, nine-year-old Rowan resolved to eat the healthiest diet possible as a way of managing his anxiety around his fear of death. So he wanted to be in control of whether he got sick or not. And he believed that his ticket to a long and healthy life was going to be the quote-unquote perfect diet. Okay. Yeah. this This is actually
0: really sad. Mm -hmm. I feel like information like that can be so easily misinterpreted by a child. And I just, I don't know, I think of all of the wacky things that I used to believe as a kid. And I can completely understand how his brain kind of took that information and kind of fixated on it and started to create, Mm -hmm. like, rules for himself to try to protect himself. Like, uh, Absolutely. Yeah, I feel like there's just maybe a lack of education, not on his part, but, like, the— doctor healthcare team should have educated him a bit more so yeah. maybe he didn't fixate on the nutrition thing.
1: Yeah, and maybe more age appropriately like yes. he's 9. 9. They can't you can't process at 9 you're a kid. Okay, so then in his preteen years he starts to struggle with acne and his self-esteem plummets. So Rowan turns to the internet. The Early internet, (laughs) definitely not evidence based internet. And he finds all sorts of forums filled with personal testimonies that suggest his acne is caused by diet. And I can just see, like, I've had this similar experience. Like, I can see the light bulbs going off in Rowan's young brain as he latches even further onto the idea that diet is what will keep him safe and also what will cure his acne. And I like I also used to have acne and I would spend time on the forums because a personal testimony on a forum, someone describing an experience that you've had can be really powerful. Yeah. And then you're like, oh, maybe that'll work for me, too. Oh, I'll try that, too. And you end up trying all these like weird things in hopes of curing your acne or like boosting your immune system or whatever it is. It can be very convincing.
0: But I also feel like that just goes to show like the accessibility of healthcare and like evidence-based mm-hmm. information is just lacking.
1: For sure. And that's that's frustrating
0: to hear. And obviously I've yeah. done it before too. But when you think about it, it's because real information isn't as easily accessible.
1: Yes. And then when you go to your doctor, you don't have like a ton of time to sit there and dissect like every individual experience you've ever had. Mm-hmm. And then on one fateful day, Rowan discovers fruitarianism. So I don't know if you've ever, Becca you probably have, yeah. but like if you've done a search for fruitarianism, put on your skeptical goggles, like like prepare yourself and do a quick search. But be warned that you'll find like a lot of people with dreadlocks, white people with dreadlocks, (laughs) living in places like Hawaii where they're eating tons and tons of fruit every single day and swearing that all you need to do is eat fruit to basically cure everything. Yeah. And spoiler alert, it's not sustainable and it's not healthy and it's not nutritionally adequate. Fruitarian diets run in extremely high risk of deficiencies for fat and protein and many vitamins and minerals. And Steve Jobs actually dabbled in fruitarianism. And if Steve Jobs can get sucked into the very convincing diet hype online, anyone can.
0: Yeah. No, this is kind of like the eye rolliest of diets, in my opinion. Because it is, it is mainly just drenched in privilege, like you said. It's people living on beautiful islands, eating nothing but fruit. And normally, they're staying in these villas that were probably like a grand night. <laughs> For sure. Um, and when I was actually in one of my dietitian placements, I had to do some research on one of the more prominent fruitarians in this space. And those diets are not sustainable financially either. Uh, I had mm-hmm. did like a cost analysis of this, this woman's detox program and... I think it was 10 days worth of groceries was about $500. Oh my God. (laughs) So if you, and this was if you purchased everything from like my local grocery store, like Loblaws. (laughs) Um, So it's not balanced. It's not affordable. And in my opinion, it wouldn't be enjoyable either. For sure.
1: Or satiating. Yeah. I feel like I would always be unsatisfied. Love fruit, but need other things. Mm -hmm. Okay. So it was this fruitarian diet that, Finally pushed his mom Diane over the edge of worry and prompted her to seek the help of the medical system. Prior to the fruitarian diet, Rowan had been focused on healthy foods, like conscious of different additives, but he hadn't, he'd still been eating a relatively balanced diet with some variety. But when this fruitarian diet entered the scene, Diane was like, oh, something's up here. So they went to the medical system. That hadn't gone as planned. And now Child Protective Services was looking for Rowan. And then one day in 2003, Rowan and Diane were home and they got a knock on the door and Diane answered it. And it was Child Protective Services. And so Rowan snuck out a back window and made a run for it. He returned later that night to seek the help of his highly trustworthy brother, Kyle. So Kyle, just a quick background, he spent a lot of time on the corners of the early internet. And he was very focused on living off-grid and the impending end days, (laughs) like the end of the world, (laughs) among other things. But he had been planning a trip to the Canadian wilderness for years and the timing had just never seemed right. But now his little brother needed help. He needed to escape. And Kyle is possibly the strongest Horn family member that believes in, in personal freedom. That is what he is all about. So he grabbed some camping gear and Kyle and Rowan headed to the Canadian border. And this is like a pretty shocking part. But this is 2003. This is only two years after 9-11. Border security is pretty tight. Yeah. But the boys were just able to walk across the border into Canada without passports or identification. I don't really know the details, but I'm kind of impressed and also concerned <laughs> about how easily they did it.
0: I'm sure they didn't go to like an official border crossing That
1: would not fly. I know, definitely wouldn't happen today.
0: It would not happen today, and I also feel like it's not often that you hear of an American's dream vacation being a vacation in Canada,
1: (laughs) vacation in the wilderness of Canada, off-grid vacation. But Canada is cool, everyone. It's very cool. (laughs) Lots of lovely things to see. So the boys walked through the Canadian border in search of a place to pitch their tent, and they. Pretty soon, they saw Kalamalka Lake and uh, the general store near there, and they knew they had found an amazing place. So this is the pre-Tammy days. The boys arrived in Canada. They had less than $500 to live off of. I mean, we talked about this earlier. The price of avocados is not cheap, so it wasn't long before their money actually started to run out, and they had to get creative. So they would hang out around the grocery store and offer to bring people's grocery carts back for them because... They could collect the quarters that were in the cart. You know how no frills does that, where you have to like put right. a dollar in yeah. the cart to get the cart. Yeah. We literally have a loony that we keep in our car specifically for grocery shopping because, like, I can't do all my grocery shopping in just a basket. Mm-mm. We're here to talk, no frills, if you have it, if you ever, if you ever need more information. <laughs> so the boys would offer to bring people's grocery carts back so they could collect that quarter and they would also make sandwiches and sell them on the beach. And I don't know about you, but I would never <laughs> buy a sandwich from a random kid on the beach. Like I wonder how successful that venture was. And now the story is going to come full circle. So their money is running out. I'm sure the sandwich business was not successful. <laughs> and they're starting to panic and so the boys were actually thinking like okay, we got to we got to pack up and go home like this isn't working out. And that's when the infamous note and quarters from Tammy showed up. And the rest is kind of history. Wow. They got all okay. the support from Vernon. I know. It's crazy. It is wild. Okay. So what happened? What happens? I'm so into the story. Yeah. So the best part about the Wild Boys podcast, I want to keep giving them shout outs because they were a really solid source for me, <laughs> is that they actually talked to Kyle and Rowan now. So you get to oh. go and like hear their interviews. So I'm going to come back to that. But I love this story, and I think it's such a good way to start season three because, A, it's kind of fun. It's not too heavy, not too serious. And it also encompasses a lot of important themes that we discuss throughout our other seasons, throughout season one, season two. It showcases a lot of the risk factors that can lead to the development of an eating disorder. So something like a major health scare at a really young age and having a lot of health anxiety. And then the self-esteem takes a hit with teenage acne which can be really rough for kids. And you see how he was perfectly primed to develop an eating disorder and then also raised in this kind of counterculture household that had a distrust of conventional medicine. And it really is like a perfect storm. Mm -hmm. And I think that's how eating disorders usually develop. Like it's multiple different factors over years. And then you add in like the early internet days and the fruitarian echo chamber that Rowan found on those forums. And it's like, it just makes so much sense Yeah, how he would struggle with orthorexia. And it's also why recovery can take so long, but so important.
0: Yeah, and I feel like even in, in Rowan's case, his motivations, they weren't even like weight focused. No. They were stemming from this health mm-hmm. anxiety that you described and this idea that if he only put the right things in his body, he could possibly keep himself healthy and
1: live longer i guess yep and that actually is quite literally the perfect segue for where (laughs) rowan is today so turns out despite seeking treatment for his orthorexia rowan still believes that he can live forever so according to his linkedin today rowan is the founder of the eternal life fan club his tumblr page says quote basically i'm trying to live forever because death makes life meaningless end quote (laughs) And he shares a lot of, like, interesting stuff, a lot of anti-GMO stuff, which we are not going to open that can of worms today, but maybe in Mm -hmm. another episode. Hint, hint. Although both of us are scared to cover that. (laughs) It's such a beast. Such a monster. (laughs) I know. So that's where Rowan is today, still kind of on this path where he is obsessed with avoiding death. And then in terms of Kyle, the older brother... He may or may not be working at a gerbil farm. It's unclear, (laughs) but a gerbil farm sounds pretty freaking adorable to me. What is a gerbil farm? I feel like they just farm gerbils. Like they, a bunch of gerbils live there.
0: But is this for like scientific experiments
1: or is this like for pet stores? I'm going to say pet stores. Okay, let's go with that. Just because I would prefer that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so I guess you could always listen to the Chameleon podcast, The Wild Boys Season 3 if you want to hear like Rowan and Kyle actually tell their own stories in their own words 20 years after the fact. I think it's such a cool story that involves so much more than food, but also has an interesting food theme throughout. Mm -hmm. And I hope you enjoyed, Becca. Yes, I did. Amazing (laughs) job. That was
0: so interesting. I feel like it was the scandalous story that I didn't know I needed. For sure. (laughs) I, like at first, when you pitched the idea, I was like, oh, I wonder if this is even going to be interesting talking about yeah. two boys in the Canadian wilderness. But <laughs> what do you know? It was very interesting. And you're right. It had some really good
1: underlying themes. Mm-hmm. So yeah, thank you so much. My pleasure. Great start to season three. Yes. Okay. I guess we'll see you next episode in two weeks.
0: See you next time. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Unsavory. You can find all the references and materials used to put this episode together in our show notes at unsavorypodcast.com. This is an independently produced podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, we would love it if you would rate, review, follow, and share our show with your true crime and food loving friends. If you'd like to donate to the podcast, you can sign up as a donor through our Patreon link in our bio. To keep up to date with the podcast, follow us on Instagram and Twitter at unsavorypodcast. If you have an idea for an episode or segment, email us at unsavorypod at gmail.com. This podcast was recorded and edited by Earworm Radio. We highly recommend their services for all of your podcasting needs. You can learn more about them at earwormradio.com.